Where is God when it hurts? Why do bad things happen to good people? The problem of pain. If I were God, I'd end all the pain. They're just four books off my bookshelf. Uh, and four of the truckload of Christian books written on the question of why God allows suffering. But you don't need to read a book to know about suffering. You've only got to talk to people here at church. Enduring all sorts of chronic medical conditions, discomforts, prolonged frustrations, heartbreaking emotional suffering. And I'm sure you could add dozens of stories from the people you know, from your friends and family and work colleagues. Suffering that just seems so unfair. We hear these stories and we groan. We weep. Why does the world have to be this way? And of course it's not just personal. There's the endless wars, there's the natural disasters that kill thousands. I'm happy to wait for eternity. I'm happy to be a work in progress. But can't life just be a little bit easier while we're waiting, a little less painful? But that's not the way it is. As we've worked through Romans, we've followed God's plan to transform the world, how he's taken self-centred rebels, how he's taken a world that's gone badly wrong and at last he's acted to put things right. How in the death of his son, in the gift of his spirit, we're now in a whole new era. We're living with a transformed heart and renewed mind. We're walking in a relationship with God the way it was designed to be. But to all of that comes the obvious objection. If that is the way things are, if we are living in this wonderful new transformed age, then why are we still groaning? Why are we still groaning? According to Romans 8, and according to your experience and my experience, that's the reality of life. We may have the down payment of God's spirit, we may have a new heart, but we still groan. Verse 22 of Romans 8, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. As in the pains of childbirth. If you've ever been in a labour ward, you'll know what it's like. I've been there four times. And not just in our room, but up and down the corridor, you can hear the groans, the screams, the blood-curdling shrieks, and that's just from the dads. <laughs> the, the whole world, Paul says, it, it's just like a big labour ward. It's in pain. It's groaning. And verse 20 says, the world is subjected to frustration, to work that doesn't satisfy, to relationships that don't fulfil their promise. And verse 21 says, creation is in bondage to decay. Bodies that wear out and break down, an environment that's being gradually destroyed, drought, Species extinction, floods, earthquakes, tsunamis, global warming, wars, genocide, terror attacks, murder, rape. Houses you build and renovate get eaten by termites. Unit blocks that you buy that are brand new when you buy them now crack and collapse and are sinking into a hole in the ground. 
Our world is on a long, relentless, slippery slope to crumbling, corroding decomposition. And and we Christians aren't exempt either. Verse 23, Paul says, Not only so, not only is the, the whole creation groaning, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation groans. And we groan because we're part of creation. We're saved. We've got a down payment of the Spirit, but we're not exempt from what everyone else suffers. Creation groans. We groan, but not just that. Verse 26 tells us that even God's Spirit groans as well. In the midst of a groaning world, God's spirit groans too, which is actually really comforting, isn't it? When you are at the end of your rope, at the midst, in the midst of a groaning world, when you can't even put two words together to pray to God, or when the problems of the world seem so huge and complicated and you don't know where to begin in praying for the, the needs, God promises that his spirit will intercede for you. Uh, will pray on your behalf with groans that words can't express. Because God's spirit in you knows the mind of God. We groan. The spirit groans. We're in a groaning world. It's a pretty grim picture. And yet, for many people, these are their favourite verses in the whole Bible. So why is that? Why are these such wonderful Uh, comforting verses because as they describe the groaning and we say yep that's us they put the groaning into perspective we love these verses because they put the groaning into perspective Uh, you know when each of our kids were born at some point during the labour Karen said never again I'm not doing this again it's not worth it and yet every time we (laughs) Within moments of holding that brand new life, we said, yep, it was worth it. It was worth it. That's the perspective that comes from knowing that something good comes at the end of all the groaning. There's light at the end of the tunnel. That's what Romans 8 is giving us, the perspective of light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to imagine when you're in the middle of the tunnel, but just like childbirth... The reality is when those midwives are encouraging you with those stupid words of it's positive pain, it's pain with purpose, they might sound annoying, but they're actually right. They're actually right. That's the perspective these verses give us. Uh, When it comes to this groaning world. So jump back up to verse 18. He says the pain we're experiencing at the moment is nothing compared to what's coming. I consider that our present sufferings, verse 18, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us or towards us. The present sufferings, how would you score them? You know, the doctors ask on a, on a score of 1 to 10, where's your pain? You know, and we might say, oh, you know, it's, it's a minus 3. But this verse is saying, on a score of 1 to 10, what's your future glory? Well, it's a 10 plus. It's a 10 plus compared to a minus 3. Not worth comparing. 
Down in verse 23, it says, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's the future glory. He's talking about the new creation, the new life that comes after the the pregnancy and the labour. New bodies that never get cancer or heart attacks or brain aneurysms. Bodies and minds and hearts and wills that don't struggle to follow God. Where there's no constant battle to do and think and speak in a way that pleases him. Bodies that actually obey and love to obey and are able to obey God fully. The days are coming when we can put behind us the birth pains. And we can be revealed for what we really are, God's children. Completely the way God intended us to be. We are, in, uh, we are God's children, but we're not fully revealed as all God wants us to be as his children. And we can look forward to that day. Life at the moment is no bed of roses, especially uh, uh, even as Christians, and maybe especially as Christians. But Paul says one day it will be a bed of roses the redemption of our bodies with the new creation to match. That's the perspective we're to have. But perhaps you want to say, and it's a question that people have asked all the way through history, it's all very well to have that perspective that in the future it'll be better. But my question is, why? Why do we have to have it so bad now? Why does there have to be a labour before the delivery? Why does there have to be pain before the gain? Why can't we have a spiritual caesarean? Why can't we just go straight to the birth? Well, this passage gives us a number of reasons. Firstly, verse 20, because it's God's will. It's God's will. Uh, Verse 20, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. This is all part of God's plan. Now that may not sound to you like much of a reason. But can I just say it's better than the alternative? That is, the suffering you're going through, uh, it's not his will and that it's outside of God's control and the world is spinning out of control and there is no plan and that your suffering and the world's suffering, well, it's all just random, bad luck. That's hopeless. That's what the atheist, that's all the atheist can say about the suffering of the world. That just leads to despair and futility. But God's plan is that there is purpose. There is purpose in our groaning. God's plan is that in the midst of our groaning, firstly we would learn to look forward. His plan is that we would learn to hope for what's coming Because the Christian life is a forward-looking life. The Christian life is hoping for the fullness of life that we don't yet see and experience. It's about promise and trusting the promise. See there in verse 24? For in this hope we were saved. Hope that's seen isn't hope. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. The true Christian life is the one that's coming. We get a taste of it now, but we have to wait for the rest. We, we get the down payment, but we have to wait for the full payout. 
If it wasn't for the groaning, there'd be no reason to hope for the future. We'd just be happy now. We wouldn't need to look forward. We wouldn't need to trust. We'd just be content in our self-reliant comfort if there was no groaning. So if you are a Christian who suffered, if you're a Christian who's been banged up a bit, there are some chips in the paintwork and some grinding in the gears, then hang in there. Look forward. Because all of those signs, all of those chips and cracks and groans are are not a sign of your lack of faith. They're not a sign of your immaturity. They're actually a sign of maturity. It's those chips and knocks and clunks that keep your eyes fixed on the future, that keep your eyes fixed on the ultimate repair job that God has promised. It's those battle scars that God uses to increase your hope. If it wasn't for the knocks, then you wouldn't be looking to God because we'd already have everything we need. We'd be in control. We wouldn't need a new creation because we already had all we need. But instead, God wants us to hope. Why does he want us to hope? Well, hope is not just about then. Hope is actually about today. Hope has benefits for you when you walk out of this building. Hope looks like something this week. Hope trusts God and waits patiently. Hope trusts God and waits patiently. That's what you do today. Hope looks to God for today's answers, for strength and patience and deliverance and guidance. Hope expressed today looks like what Paul says from verse 28. Hope that looks forward is the attitude that's expressed in what Paul says in verse 28. It's a confident trust in the God who has a purpose and a plan. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. From the beginning to the end, God has it all mapped out. He doesn't just know what's going to happen, he's in control of it happening too. And so your suffering fits right into the middle of all of God's plans. He's planned everything that's happened to you. If you're a Christian, then God foreknew you. He predestined you. He set his plans in place for you. And then he called you. He engineered people and circumstances. He softened your heart and opened your eyes and led you to himself. And then he justified you. He put you right with himself. He wiped the slate clean. And in his perfect timing, he will glorify you. And wherever you are at the moment, you're sitting right in the middle of that glorious plan. 
And what that means for today and for tomorrow is that he's predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's the purpose of your life, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. His ultimate good for you is not your comfort. It's not your health. It's not your rest. It's not your enjoyment. It's not your happiness. It's not that you'll have a nice house, a lovely family, a good job with lots of influence. You you may get those things. But God's destiny for you, God's ultimate good for you, is that you... You listening? You'll be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's the good that all these things are working for. Conformed to the likeness of his son, in obedience, in godliness, in servant-hearted love for others, in humility, in patience, in dependence, in confident, quiet hope of glory. And unfortunately, the way he's going to do that in his perfect, loving, compassionate wisdom is through delaying glory, through groaning, through testing, discipline, trials, refining fire, struggles, tears and pain. That's how he's going to make you like Jesus. If the path were smooth and flat and easy, you wouldn't need God's help. We'd just run off ahead and think it was easy and we'd do it on our own. But when it's rough and steep, when there are drops on either side, when we slip and stumble, that's when we reach out and hold on to God's hand, when we walk with him. Walking with him. Walking with God. That's the way it should have been. That's the way it was back in the garden. Walking with God. That's what it'll be like in the new creation. And that's how he wants you to walk through today. Hand in hand with him. Is that how it is with you? Is that describing your life? Walking hand in hand with God? Uh, Or are you the rebellious, overconfident, foolish child who runs off ahead and gets into all sorts of danger? But how can Paul be so confident? How can you or I be sure that all of this stuff is not just wishful thinking? I mean, that word hope in English, when we use the word hope in English, it's got that sort of wishful thinking meaning, doesn't it? There's some sort of uncertainty. I I hope I get a new phone for my birthday. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. But that's not Christian hope. Christian hope is the sure certainty of something that's coming. Christian hope is the sure certainty of something that's coming. How can we be like that when it comes to the future? How can we be sure? We have to look back. We can be sure because of what he's already done. Have a look at verse 31 and notice the logic of looking back to be sure of looking forward. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a big claim. How can you be sure of that? He who did not spare his own son, but
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How can you be sure of the future? Because of what God's done in the past. The cross is a sign that God has already given us the greatest gift. So there's no doubting that he will bring us into the new creation. The same sort of logic continues in verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. So as we look ahead, how can we be sure that earthly charges or prosecution won't bring us down? How can we be sure that God won't suddenly find some hidden accusation and pull it out of the closet on Judgment Day? Because looking back, Jesus died for it all. He died for it all once. But even more than dying, he was raised to life and today, right now, he's sitting there next to God pleading on our behalf. That one's mine. Don't forget that one's mine. Keep an eye on him. Look out for him. Look out for her. She's mine too. That's what Jesus is doing today. If the cross and the empty tomb are proof that all that's true, then that means there's nothing into the future that can harm me. Verse 35. Looking forward, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword. As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, life, angels, demons, present, future, any powers, height, depth, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Looking forward, whatever happens, whatever God brings our way, even death can't separate us from his love. Whatever tries to conquer us, we will over-conquer. More than conquerors, it's the word for hyper-conquer. We will hyper-conquer. It's a weird expression. What, what's more than conquering? To me, it seems like you either conquer or you're conquered. Now, I don't know whether I'm reading too much into this word, but what if hyper-conquering, more than conquering, what if it means that you don't conquer, but instead you do something better than conquer? What if it means that you remain despite being conquered? What if it means you remain even though you are conquered? The book of Revelation was written to a group of churches suffering Roman persecution. Uh, John, the author, introduces himself in chapter 1, verse 9, and he says, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance. Uh, they're suffering. And, and then he has a message from Jesus to all of these churches. Chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, he says, Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Chapter 2, verse 10, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you 
and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear. He's not promising that they will conquer. He's saying, you're going to die, but remain faithful. If you remain faithful, you'll receive the crown of life even though you die. A more than conqueror overcomes by remaining faithful. He, He keeps his eye on Jesus even though he suffers death, even though he suffers persecution, even though he suffers cancer, even though he suffers abandonment, even though he suffers poverty, even though he suffers... He keeps his eyes on Jesus, he keeps walking, he keeps holding his hand, he keeps hoping for the new creation, certain of it because of what God's done in the past in Jesus. He hyper-conquers, even though he's conquered. The Cambodian Christian teacher Haim and his family hyperconquer. I've told this story before, but it's a, it's a cracker. Uh, it's taken from the book Killing Fields, Living Fields. During the ruling uh, of Pol Pot in Cambodia, 90% of Cambodian Christians died, they were killed. Uh, The book tells the story of Haim, who lived in a small village on the edge of the jungle. They were arrested by Pol Pot soldiers uh, and they were going to be put to death the following morning. Uh, They spent the night praying and comforting one another. The next morning they dug their own grave, were granted a moment to prepare before they were shot. They knelt down, they cried out to God, encouraging the soldiers as well to repent and believe the gospel. Then Haim's young son lost his nerve. He ran off into the forest in an attempt to escape. Haim convinced the soldiers not to go after him, but called out to his son. What comparison, my son, stealing a few more days of life in the wilderness, a fugitive, wretched and alone, to joining your family here, momentarily around the grave, but soon around the throne of God, free forever. Uh, Within a couple of minutes, the son returned, walked past the soldiers, dried his eyes, knelt down next to his family, and they were all shot. But they met their saviour. They were conquered, but they overconquered. That's trusting the God who works all things for good. That's considering our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed in us. That's hoping in the new creation that comes after the birth pains. That's a family who are convinced that neither death, life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth, anything can separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And may may that be us as well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to see you, to see what you have done for us in Jesus. Help us to hope, help us to trust, help us to conquer for your glory and for our good 
that we might be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What a glorious day that will be. Lord, we pray for any of us who are going through particularly difficult times. Help them especially, Lord. Strengthen and guide and protect and comfort. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.